So please bow with me in prayer as we seek our Lord once more in this time of worship as we hear from heaven and turn to the Word of God and worship Him. Our Father and our God, we thank You and we praise You. Thank You for Your Holy Word. Lord, You even said in Your Word, Heaven's my throne. Earth is my footstool. Where's the house that You will build me? Where's the place of my rest? For all these things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. On Him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Father, that is our desire today is to be poor, contrite, spirit. Jesus, You said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord, You're looking for a heart to dwell in. A habitation. A heart that is tender. A heart that is broken. A heart to dwell in that takes Your Word seriously. So Lord, You're, you're the seeker. You're the seeker this morning. Not us. Seeking true worshipers that will worship You in spirit and truth. And Father, only You can help us do this by Your grace and spirit. So Father, our prayer is, speak Lord for Your servant hears and transform us today by Your your Holy Spirit that we may be more like Jesus. More made in the image and conformed into the image of Your dear Son. We thank You for this. And we ask this in Your beloved Son's name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, for Your honor and glory. Amen. Ministry God's way. Ministry God's way. I would not dare give you a definition of my own own, um, knowledge of this because Scripture has so much to say and God gives us the definition of ministry. Last Lord's Day, we looked at priorities and purpose and power and pattern. I didn't finish, and I'd like to finish this today, and we're just taking a small break from 2 Peter chapter 2. Lord willing, we'll be a continue our track back to 2 Peter next Lord's Day. But I think uh, this is something that will encourage us as a small church. It's something I've been seeking the Lord about. It's constantly on my mind, and I thought... Well, it's been bearing on my mind and my heart, and I'm just giving it to you, passing the blessing to you. And something that I believe is extremely important for us as a little church, it's the Lord's church, right? We are the Lord's church. We're bought with a precious price. So we ask um, the Lord to help us in this, right? Now, let me begin... In this introduction here, when asked about the effects of ministry on the, on serving the Lord and others, and serving others, because that's really what ministry is, right? It's serving God, first and foremost, and it's serving others. It's not about not serving ourselves. We are to serve others. We're to serve God. That is our delight. That is our duty. 
My first inclination is to make clear that our primary focus is in serving should always be on what we give rather than what we get out of it. We give, not what we get out of it. Matter of fact, if you look in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, I like to begin here as a foundation, and we're going to move our way in Scripture, through Scripture, and try to get through as many Scriptures as possible because the Bible says so much about ministry. Paul the Apostle here, if you notice in chapter 20, verse 35, says, uh, by the Holy Spirit, he says, I've shown you in every way by laboring like this. He, he was a laborer for the Lord. That you must support the weak. Now that's giving, isn't it? That's ministry. He says, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, that's a powerful verse, isn't it? About ministry. That's ministry. It is more blessed to give than to receive. There's more blessing in the giving than the receiving. Even Jesus, the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, uh, came to serve and not to be served. We read that last Lord's Day in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give His life a ransom for many. And this is our Master. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. He is the one in, in who we follow. He set the example. He set the uh, pace. He set the pattern. For us, as followers of Jesus Christ, that is part of His church. Now, that's the biblical definition of God's ministry. That's the biblical definition. Now, taken from that verse I just quoted from you uh, to you uh, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, notice with me the word that's translated for literally means in the place of. In the place of, under, thus underscoring the substitutionary, substitutionary nature of, I'll get my words right in a minute, nature of Christ to sacrifice. In other words, he gave himself a ransom for us. And that's what the word actually says. So Jesus gives himself a ransom. And you know as well as I do, is a ransom is a price that's paid to redeem a slave or a prisoner. And that's what Christ has done for us. He has freed us from the slave market of sin, from a hard taskmaster that would take us to hell. So in redemption, Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price. And that price was, of course, His precious blood that He offered to God as the Lamb of God once and for all. He satisfied God's justice. God's holy justice was satisfied through Jesus Christ and His precious blood. This is the heart of the gospel, isn't it? The atonement. God's wrath was satisfied against sin. Outside of that, outside of that, we're doomed and hell bound. And this is where the world stands. 
The price that Jesus paid was a high price. The price of His very life, His body, and His blood. His body and His blood. The blood atonement. The blood of the everlasting covenant, Hebrew says. Thus we see the very meaning of the cross, don't we? And this is really the foundation of true ministry. We look to Jesus, right? I believe we... And the writer of Hebrews says that clearly in Hebrews chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He, he begins us, He will finish us. He who has, who has begun a good work in you will, will finish it. He will produce that in us. But Jesus is the one we look to. There's many, many other ministries we can look to in the Word of God, but Jesus is the ultimate perfect example, and I don't know about you, I'd like to look at a perfect example, and Jesus is it. Our Lord is it. And Jesus Christ subjected Himself, He submitted Himself to the divine punishment against sin on our behalf. On our behalf. Beloved, Jesus is the priority. The points I gave, and the points I'd like for us to look at, the priority of ministry the power of ministry, the purpose of ministry, the pattern of ministry is all summed up in Jesus and Him crucified. That reminds me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn with me there, please. This has been on my heart all week. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 gives us a, a wonderful... Definition, I should say, but a wonderful example of what this is. I like to begin in, in the earlier verses. Look at, let me begin with verse 9. And this verse 9 through 11 basically speaks of the judgment seat of Christ. And this is something we should set before us as we all do ministry, right? Because we're going to all stand before God one day, give an account for the works. That's sobering. That sobers us. As Ravenhill says, that actually curbs our life, even as a Christian. Notice what he says in verse 9. Therefore we make it our aim. This is our aim. Whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. I believe that's the first and foremost thing, isn't it? It's to please God. And Hebrews 11.6 basically says, without faith it is impossible to please God. And we know as we look in Scripture, as you break it down, faith is believing, but just not intellectual knowledge, but it is action. It's faith at work. It's faith demonstrated. Faith works. The whole book of James, we went through that. So we want to be well-pleasing to Him every day that we live as Christians. I don't know about you. My prayer is, Lord, I want to please You. And ultimately, we do sin even in our very best. So we know only in Jesus and through Jesus we can be pleasing to Him, but when we do sin, we take it to the Lord in prayer and we ask God, sanctify us. So our sanctification is at the process of this, but notice where Paul goes with this. We want to be our aim. That is the aim, to be well-pleasing to Him. Then Paul brings verse 10 before us. For we, all of us, God's people, no one is exempt 
no one will be uh, exempt from this. We must, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body. According to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's sobering. I, I tell you, that sobers me. That we may receive the things done in the body. So there, there will be rewards given to God's people in that day. But notice where he goes. He goes to evangelism here. Verse 11. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. God's terror. What is God's terror? We we, we are to persuade men. We persuade men. Now that's where we are to be persuasive. In our evangelism. Because of the terror of the Lord. But we are well known to God. And I also trust are well known in your consciousness. And now he talks about this is where we aim sinners to. We take them to Scripture, right? We take them to the Scriptures. Basically to be reconciled to God. Because this is a world that is under the death penalty. They're dead men walking. Unholy. For we do not commend ourselves again to you. Verse 12, but give you an opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. For if we are of sound mind, it is for you. Now he mentioned in verse 11 that we are to persuade men with the terror of the Lord, but what constraint, what compels us? Verse 14 tells us, for the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And He died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves. Wow, that's ministry, isn't it? We don't live for ourselves. We don't please ourselves. We please God. Our aim is to please God. And then he says, but for him who died for them and rose again. Jesus Christ, the head of the church. In verse 16, let me read on. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Don't you love that verse? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Basically, when regeneration takes place, we have been transformed by the power of God. We are different people. We're a different breed of people. We are now God's people. We are God's people. Verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. And by the way, we know that there's no other name under heaven whereby men can be saved only through Jesus Christ. He is the way, He's the truth, He is the life. No one, Jesus says, comes to the Father but by Me. 
So now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That, that is our ministry right there. The ministry of reconciliation. That is, and then Paul breaks it down for us by the Holy Spirit in verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself <clears throat> and not imputing their trespasses to them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Once again, he mentions that. It's only in Jesus Christ and him alone people can be saved and reconciled to a holy God. How can a sinful man be reconciled to a holy God? He answers this. But in verse 20, he says, we're basically God's ambassadors. Notice this. Now then, we are ambassadors. That means representatives. We represent Jesus Christ. He represents us here, there in heaven. He represents us here. And we represent Him here on earth. We are ambassadors for Christ. And as though God were pleading through us. Don't you love that? Though God pleading through us. The body of Christ. He pleads through us. He cries through us. He suffers through us. He glories through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. That's the ministry. That's our message. And then he sums it up right here in this wonderful verse 21 of what the gospel is all about. The gospel is all about, right here, double imputation. You know, you, you hear single imputation. I, I, I talked to this friend of mine, and he is a Christian, and he speaks all the time about single imputation. He talks about the physical sufferings of Christ. I said, yeah, that's part of the gospel. Jesus suffered severely, physically for us. And he talks about the forgiveness of sins. I said, yeah, Jesus forgave us on the cross, but I said, that's only single imputation. I said, my brother, I said, have you ever thought about the, the other part of it? He looked at me like, what? And he, he's only familiar with the single imputation, but there's double imputation here. There's a great exchange. Though Jesus took our sin on behalf of His people and took our place as the substitute and forgives us by taking our sin, but He gives us His righteousness. That's where the victory comes through. Comes in. And He says this, For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Then the great exchange, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. I tell you what, if the church can get a hold of that verse, we'll turn this world upside down for Jesus Christ. That one verse, the glorious atonement that God made Him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, perfect, the Lamb of God, to be sin for us. God treated Him as the worst sinner. And all the sins was... Put on Him. What a mystery. But it took place. And He was the Lamb of God as our substitute. And He took it to the altar of the cross on Mount Calvary. And 
And then in the great exchange, He gives us His robes of righteousness, doesn't He? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And we're to plead with people, be reconciled to God on Christ's behalf. Plead with them, beg them, charge them in love. Speak the truth in love. Now, Paul doesn't stop there. Now, our Bible breaks it up in chapter 6, but he continues. Now he gives the marks of the ministry. Notice what he says. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, he's using that word plead once again. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. And don't you love the urgency? Don't you love the urgency of God? Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not to procrastinate. That's the devil's biggest lies. To wait till tomorrow. Put it off. But God says, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Come to Christ now. And we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Now he's making, talking about ministry. And then I love where Paul goes on this. He says, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. Now he's basically going to say, I've got the marks of the ministry. I'm going to show it to you. He had to defend his apostleship here against false teachers. And later on, you will see that he uses a third person later on, but here he basically gives the marks of a true minister of God. And notice what, he's, what he says, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known. Paradox there is incredible. As dying... And behold, we live as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things. Don't you love the paradox? The marks of the ministry. Then he goes and speaks in a heart urgency to the Corinthians these carnal believers here, these worldly believers, and some probably not believers, of course, but he charges them, Old Corinthians, we have spoken you openly to you. Our heart is wide open. Then from there on out, he, to the end of the chapter, and then and to, flows over to chapter 7, he speaks about what it means to be holy, to be set apart. We are different people, aren't we? That's the ministry. That's the ministry of reconciliation that God has given us and talks about those marks of the ministry. That's the ministry. Now, 
Jesus Christ our Lord is our first priority, isn't He? In ministry. And by the way, you read this in Philippians 3, Jesus was Paul's first priority. He says, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And he says, that one thing I do, I forget those things behind. I press toward the mark. That was his vocation. That was his call. And that is our call as well. We're effectually called into his family by the grace of God. But we are called to take the message to a lost and dying world. And I cannot help but think, the first thing always before us is our communion with God to know Him deeper and more intimate. And then we take this message and take the love of God. And as He said, our aim is to please the Lord. And because one day we're going to give an account before God of all that we will do as children of God. So we must make our lives count for Jesus Christ. Life is short. This should be before us. And each one of us is going to receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether it be good or bad. So we, therefore, we, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But, as verse 14 says in chapter 5 of Corinthians, for the love of Christ compels us. Compels us. It's almost a word that drives us. It's like the engine. It's like the engine of a, of a train. It's the thing that makes it go. It's the, it's the love of God. 1 Corinthians 13. Without that, we're nothing, right? That's ministry. That's God's ministry. And we looked at that last week. Loving God and loving others, right? Loving God, loving others. Jesus says, by this, you shall know that you are my disciples if you have love toward one another. As we've seen also in Luke chapter 10, we saw the parable of the Good Samaritan, and that is actually how is it applied. It's applied in doing this in a daily life and reaching out to people that are lost and dying. And, and Jesus gave a wonderful parable to a lawyer that asked the question about eternal life. And the priority here is no doubt the most important, isn't it? And, and why we start with the priority? Because the reason, it is the root and then there's the fruit. Now, we, this is always something we should have before us. And this is what Scripture speaks of. Proverbs 10.25 says this, When the whirlwind passes by, the wicked is no more. But, but, the righteous has an everlasting foundation. That everlasting foundation. What Solomon is talking about is the roots. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Paul says, no, no, none of us can, no one can lay any other foundation that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Because the root of the righteous shall not be moved. That's why. We shall not be moved. The root of the righteous are planted in a good soil. You know, we actually see this in Psalm 1, don't we? It reminds me of Psalm 1. If you look at Psalm 1, and by the way, Psalm 1 is the introduction to the whole books of Psalms. The Psalter. The way of the righteous and the end of the ungodly. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Notice the pattern there. He walks not... And the counsel of the ungodly, the wicked, 
nor stands, the walking, the standing, he stands, he does not stand in the path of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of the scorn. For there is a pattern that is declining. Walking, standing, sitting. Verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. You can actually say his delight is in God's word. His delight is in the word of God. His delight, isn't that our delight? It's God's word because God's word is everything to us. He, he delights in it. And by the way, he shows it by, because he ponders on it. He meditates on it day and night. In his law, in his law, he meditates day and night. He just didn't say stop with day, did he? He just didn't stop with night. He said day and night. It's continual. Because that's his delight. And he shall be like a tree planted. There it is. The root of the righteous. Planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season. Notice that? The, pat, the, the, pat, the, the tree is planted by the rivers of water. Therefore, it brings forth its fruit in its season. It must have the water in order to produce the fruit. Whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. And then he gives us a picture. The ungodly are not so, but are like shaft, the shaft which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Then you go all the way through the whole book of Psalms and you can, you can go back to this psalm right here that introduces every one of the psalms and take it back to right there. So we see the effect, effectiveness of ministry must always be measured by what truly brings glory, honor, and praise to God. Not what elevates us. God help us. Not man. We're just instruments of righteousness for the glory of God. We must decrease so Jesus increases, as John the Baptist said. That's the first law of ministry. So it's not what elevates us or makes us feel accomplished. And, and how sad it is in our nation and even as you look about, you, you see man-centeredness. It's humanism. Even pastors are falling prey to that they think that the church is all about them. Beloved, you and I know better than what the Word of God says, and as Brother Keith says, Jesus says, it's His church. Upon my church, He purchased it. He's the head of the church. He purchased it by His blood. And how dare anyone rob God from His glory? As a little man gets behind a podium and a pulpit, and as most will be doing, few will be today preaching God's Word, but most will be basically telling stories and myths and everything else and scratching ancient ears. It's not about man, is it? It's not about the preacher. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about Jesus Christ. Jesus is building His church. God not only sets the standard, by the way, 
God is the standard. God is the standard. I can back that up with Scripture. All you got to do is open the Word of God. It's all the way from Genesis to Revelation, right? But I do like to go to Colossians. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 is all about the preeminence of Christ. What does that mean? Jesus is first. He's first in everything, isn't He? No rivals. Amen, Brother Keith. Notice in verse 9, there's so much here. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Now there's prayer. We're going to talk about that later. How important it is in ministry for all of us to be in an attitude of prayer. Do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing, being fruitful, there it is, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthen with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body. He's the head of the church, isn't He? This is His church. The church. The church. The called out ones. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. He is to be first. In all things. In all things. So we see that ministry effectiveness. Jesus is to be first. I love verse 10, don't you? That you may walk worthy of the Lord. Worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing Him. Being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. You know, it's, it's like Paul through the Holy Spirit. You know, as he mentioned earlier in 2 Corinthians, that we're going to all appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And it's like here he gives us the, the tools, how we can be fully pleasing, and how we can walk worthy of the Lord and all these things, and how we can be fruitful. We're not left without the knowledge of God in showing us, Right? That's, there's a process, then there's the result. And the results we live up, leave up to God. But there is also that process and the fruit, I guess you could say. The process of, is walking worthy of the Lord. Walk basically encompasses the godly behavior that we are to walk in our everyday life. The way we talk, the way we behave ourselves, the way we react. And that's convicting because that, therefore that we need to be filled with God and we need to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. 
So our walk encompasses everything that we do. Our walk with the Lord. Our personal holiness. That's the root. That's the fruit. Then the fruit. Fully pleasing Him. Being fruitful in every good work. And notice how bearing fruit brings God's glory, right? Bearing fruit gives God glory. Jesus speaks much of this. It lets people know we belong to Him for His glory and purpose. And when we bear fruit unto holiness, we are reflecting Jesus to others. We reflect Him. Go with me to John chapter 15. This is key, isn't it? Well familiar chapter that we, we know of, but how we need to keep this before us because I'm telling you, the Christian life would not be effective and fruitful unless it's for John, what Jesus speaks of in John 15. Because Jesus is that true vine. Jesus is that true vine. And He says this, I am the true vine. And then He says, My Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that he bear, that bears fruit, he prunes. I believe that's the sanctification. It's the pruning. That's sanctifying. That it may bear fruit, more fruit. You know this. You, you got a rose bush. It needs pruning at times, doesn't it? To have a more beautiful rose or, or fruit trees. There's a pruning process. And farmers know this in and, and agriculture. They, they know all about the pruning process and people who grow uh, roses and plants and flowers. There's a pruning process for it to have just not better foliage, but to have the fruit, the, the flower. Jesus says that. Every branch that bears fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. So if you're chasing to the Lord in that pruning, it's going to bear more fruit because it's God's love. Then he says, and you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Isn't that wonderful? It's the word of Christ that cleanses us. The washing, the regeneration of the word. He says about the truth in John 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Thy word is truth. That's the sanctifying element. That's why we need to stay in God's Word. That's why we need to meditate on it day and night. That, because we, there's a cleansing process, and that cleansing sanctifies us. And yeah, it, there, there is something there that the more we stay in it and delight in it, the further away we want to get away from sin and hate sin, and the more sin we sin ourselves. And then Jesus said it in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. The abiding... This is our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is our personal holiness. This is how fruit comes. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, it cannot bear fruit of itself, right? I haven't seen a a branch do that. It has to have a, a vine. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, or you could say he who continues in me, and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. We need to keep that before us, don't we? Without Jesus Christ, not only we are nothing, we could do nothing. Our doing is nothing. 
Now, we're talking about effectiveness of ministry here. This is how we can be effective in ministry, by bearing fruit and abiding in Jesus Christ, by our personal relationship with Him and knowing Him. I don't know, every day that I live, it, it is my goal to know Jesus Christ more and more. Amen? Isn't that your goal? To press toward the mark of the prize that Paul says, that I may know Him in the, in the fellowship of His sufferings and the power of His resurrection, that I may know Him. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. And that doesn't mean name and claim it either. He's talking about spiritual riches in Jesus Christ, the will of God. What is God's will? What God has for those that are in Jesus Christ. Not the physical Anybody that thinks physical here and things are gainsayers, covetous, and eating up with themselves. He's talking about abiding in Him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done for you. And by this my Father is glorified. By what? That you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. There you have it. And that's key, isn't it? Is that priority is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the priority of ministry. And by the way, after the priority of ministry, what comes next? The power of ministry. I really believe that. If we do not have the priority of ministry and knowing Jesus Christ, there's not going to be any power. Because the power flows from knowing Jesus Christ because He is the power. The power comes from the foundation, the fountainhead, I should say, the foundation, Jesus Christ, the plumb line, the source. God is power, because power belongs to God, the psalmist says. For He is power, and the effectiveness of ministry is to come from the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Go with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians now, let's see the power. I'd like to begin chapter 2. The power is in Christ crucified. That's what we need to hear. That's what we need to set before us. Paul says, I and I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech. He wasn't a good orator. He wasn't a motivational speaker. No. Or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. In other words, I'm not coming to you as a great speaker. I'm not coming to you with man's wisdom. In, in giving and declaring the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There's where the power is, beloved. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. How we need this today? That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And he goes on, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, though the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages, ages before he, our glory. Which none of the rulers of this age knew. And had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory, God, in His sovereign plan. 
allowed it to happen. They didn't know it. Their eyes were closed. Christ was crucified. Now, it's for our glory. But as it is written, verse 9, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. And you can read it on to the rest of the, uh, through the rest of the chapter. It talks about the natural man and the spiritual man and how comparing spiritual things with spiritual, how the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, their foolishness to him. He cannot, he cannot even know them. He cannot know them. He's not capable of knowing it. Because the world does not receive Christ, right? Jesus spoke about that. It's wonderful. But we had the mind of Christ. We had the mind of Christ in verse 16. That makes me think of Philippians. Go with me to Philippians. This is all about ministry, isn't it? I need to hear this. I need to remind myself of this. This is, this is the foundation of ministry. This is the priority of ministry. This is the power of ministry. This is the purpose of ministry. Well, notice he says in chapter 2, therefore it is, <clears throat> therefore, if there is any consolation, encouragement, basically, in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the, the same love, being of one accord of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, there's the first law of ministry. Let each esteem others better than himself. Better. And let each of you look out, not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. He doesn't stop there because he said the same thing as he did in uh, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. It made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond slave, basically, bond servant, and coming in in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's all about God's glory. Jesus humbled Himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now we have a cross. We're to follow Him. Now He is matchless, folks. We know this. No man can even compare to Christ's matchless sacrifice. Amen? And... But there, he gave this example of humility in ministry. I really believe that. And Paul looks to Jesus Christ and says, this is the example here. This is the perfect example. This is, he is the standard. And don't you love the way he started off? He said, if there's any encouragement, consolation in Jesus Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, affection and mercy, compassion, you, you want to make me joyful? He said, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. That's the early church, isn't it? 
They were of one accord. They were one mind. They were in unification of the truth in Jesus. And then he talks about basically to be dying to self and let nothing be done through selfish ambition. Nothing. Conceit. Selfish ambition? Conceit? But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. I tell you, that's it right there. That's, that, that is what ministry is about. Well, my time is going away, but there's a few other points I'd like to bring out here. There's the priority of ministry. There's the power of ministry. There's the purpose of ministry. What would that purpose be? I believe the purpose is we looked at this verse last week, but it's contained in Ephesians chapter 4. Now, ultimately, let me say this. The grand purpose at the end of the line, when we go to be with God in eternity, when we stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, it's for the glory of God. It's really for the glory of God. But Ephesians 4 gives us, and if we break this down, there's purposes for spiritual gifts that God has given us in each in a measure. Look at verse 7 of chapter 4. But to each one of us, grace, God's favor, was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth, that he basically came to this earth, into this dark earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might feel all things. And we just, Paul just unpacked that, the meaning of that in Philippians 3, right? And then he says this, and he himself gave some to be apostles. These are the gifts to the church. The apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. That's the big M of ministry. And then he says the little, uh, the small M of ministry for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, building it up. In verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to be a perfect man, a mature man, to, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness and deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him, this is maturity, into Him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body joined, joined and knitted together by what every joint supplies according to, the, according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Folks, that is the purpose of ministry. First, we see the unification of understanding of the faith and a deep, intimate knowledge of the Son of God, a like-mindedness of the truth, speaking the truth in love, core convictions of the Word of God, such as, you know, you could basically say it is the knowledge of the, of the Son of God. What is the gospel? Who is God? Who is man? What is Scripture? What is regeneration? What is sanctification? What is justification? What is... What does it mean to be justified by faith alone? What is, what is glorification? Basically, the whole counsel of God, right? 
The whole counsel of God. And Paul says he did not shun to declare that. That should be our duty as ministers of God. How are we to live in this world? How are we to live in this world as followers of Jesus? Sum it up, the whole counsel of God. Well, we see this basically unpacked by the Apostle Paul. Now, go with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 6. Now he's talking about now he's talking about maturity, right? The writer of Hebrews speaks about this. In the opening verses of chapter 6. Now there's progression, but there's also the peril of not progressing. I think to progress, we need to see the warnings about the peril of not progressing. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. And then you see these powerful warnings that's very sobering. For it is impossible for those who have once enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God. Now he's talking about those that are, that are apostate folks. And of the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucified again themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. Now, but what I want us to focus on here is the... The going on, let us go on to perfection. Perfection. And don't let the word, what he says here, therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, uh, throw you off. That word leaving does not mean to despise or abandon it. It basically means that you to embrace it, but what he's saying is the basic doctrines rather than they are the place to start, not to stop. They are the gate of the entrance of the narrow road to salvation in Jesus Christ. To that narrow road, this, this, this is the way that we come into salvation. Is these foundations, repentance from dead works and faith toward God. Basically what he's saying is, but knowing those things are the foundation of your faith, go on to Perfection, maturity. Don't let the word perfection throw you off because none of us could be as perfect as Jesus Christ, right? But that and that scripture there, perfection means maturity. To mature. Let us go on to maturity. Let us be carried. Let us be carried to salvation, what he's saying. Maturity. It's not a matter of. The learner is being carried by the te- uh, by teachers, right? It's the Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of truth that leads us, that guides us, of being carried forward by God. Well, there's much there. Well, there's the priority of ministry, the power, the purpose, and there's the pattern. Let's look at the pattern very quickly and before we come to some personal application very quickly. The pattern is no doubt found in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ as we looked at last Lord today. And it's given to us in the book of Acts, right? Go with me to Acts chapter 2. 
Folks, I, I, I've preached this before when, when Redeeming Grace was first come about and we had many more. And actually, I, I really do believe there was reason and purpose why others, some had to move away, by, like our dear sister uh, Lillian. We, we had the Kleindienst, they had to move away. But we did have some others that moved away by falling into sin, right? And, and it broke our hearts, didn't it? Because we re- reached out in love. We did what the Scripture says. We sacrificed. We, we humbled ourselves. We, we, we wanted to meet the needs. And, but on their own choice, unfortunately, a so-called brother went away and went astray and it broke our hearts. Now we pray for him. We pray for these people. But you know something? The pattern of ministry is found here in Acts, isn't it? The whole book of Acts, really. But this is really paramount. Look at verse 40. With many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be safe from this perverse generation. Then those who were gladly received... Now listen to this. Gladly received his word. They were gladly received it. Were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. This is a harvest after Peter preached a powerful sermon. You can read it in the sermon in chapter 2. Peter's sermon from verse 14 all the way to verse 19. I'm sorry, 39. Powerful sermon. 3,000 souls harvested. We're added to them. Then he says this in verse 42. And this is the blueprint, folks. This is the pattern of the church. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That's the Word of God. Fellowship and fellowship. There was fellowship. In the breaking of bread. That's the communion. And in prayers. Folks, we put that to action in the love of God. There will be fruit unto holiness. Now, I'm not talking about just numbers. We're talking about a healthy church that God grows. Let's see what happens. Verse 43, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And, all, and now all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Basically, they gave. Notice what he says. Verse 46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house. Isn't that beautiful? They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And one side of it, there was favor. Persecution came from a lot of the people too. But here, God gave favor. And the Lord added to the church. Who adds to the church? The Lord. They just basically were praising and blessing God. And and in prayer and steadfast, they were steadfast, I love that word, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of the bread and prayers. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved through conversion. Now, do we see evangelism in the the book of Acts? Absolutely. That they were fulfilling the commission because if you look in Acts chapter 1, This is, notice, in in verse 1, the former account I made, O Theopolis, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in that which He was taken up, 
after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, they basically obeyed those commands. They passed the torch along. And to whom he also presented himself alive all after his suffering by many infallible persons, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. They were all about Jesus, all about obeying his commands, and all about the kingdom of God. Well, let me land this plane. This is a very important scripture to us in Redeeming Grace Church because this we must be faithful no matter what happens, folks. The results is left to God, right? We are to be faithful to the Lord's commands. And I, I, I thought of two things. I said, number one, I believe trusting in the Lord in this, but doing our part is what God has commanded to us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and you well know this verse, and provides a good reminder of how we are to line up and submit to God and not to rely on our own strength and wisdom and ministry. Notice what it says in Proverbs chapter 3. Don't you love the Proverbs? It tells us, shows us how to behave as God's people. Proverbs 3. Notice what he says. Trust in the Lord, verse 5, with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, our charismatic friends really love those that end of that verse. And it basically means in your external possessions. But really, it's talking about you honor God with everything that you have. But first of all, what about trusting in God with all your heart? What about trusting in the Lord with all your heart? First of all, we're to trust God, right? How about trusting God like George Mueller did? You know, he didn't lean on anything. He expected God to provide. We need to see God for how great God is, right? Our view of God is everything. Matter of fact... That would be a great question you ask somebody. Tell me your view of God. Who is God to you? Who is Jesus? Brother Keith mentioned this morning. What about Jesus? Tell me about Jesus. And I guarantee you the answer that you get from that, those questions, you will find out whether a person is truly converted to Jesus Christ or not. What kind of view of God? Do they have a low view of God? A high view of God? Who's Jesus to them? Hey, hey, is it the Jesus of the Bible? Or is it the Jesus on the chosen, on, the, on this, this Netflix stuff? That, I don't see it. It's a, it's a different Jesus. High view of God for who Jesus is. High view of God of who God the Father is. Who the Holy Spirit is. That God is holy, holy, holy. He's true and faithful and worthy of all glory. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We could go on again and again in pursuit of God and pleasing to Him, but He, he speaks about <clears throat> next, lean not on your own understanding. We don't, we're not the lead on our understanding. We go to the Word of God, don't we? We trust in God and we trust in the One that never has failed His people. As Brother Villain read from Deuteronomy this morning, 
about possessing the land, I kept thinking to myself, you know, it was faith. The faith that pleased God. And he said, go take the land. I've, I've done this for you. I fight your battles. I give you the strength. You go in, the, in, in, in His name, God's name, no matter what, if there's giants in the land. You don't look at the giant. We don't look at the giants. We look at God. Amen. Praise God. Beloved, this, this, I believe, Redeeming Grace Church should be doing this. To trust God to go forward. Lean not. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways. All your ways? All your ways. Lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Him. And what, what shall He do? What's the promise? And He shall direct your paths. He'll direct our paths. That's the result of trusting in God. Psalm 119. Let me close with this. Then we're going to sing little as much when God's in it. Psalm 119. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. They walk, they obey. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies. They keep Jesus. Said, you got, if you love me, you keep what? My commands. You keep my words. Who seek Him with what? The whole heart. The whole heart. 1 John 3. By this we know love, because He laid down His life for us. We ought also to lay down our lives for the brethren. This is where it comes down to, folks. This is ministry God's way. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need shuts up his heart from him, and how does the love of God abide in him? I tell you, that was where the rubber meets the road. My little children. Listen to the tenderness there. That's pastoral. My little children. This is the apostle of love. Let us. He doesn't disclude himself, does he? Let us. Not love in word or in tongue. Let's just don't talk about it. But indeed, and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. And if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Aren't you glad for that? Therefore, there is no condemnation to those in Jesus Christ. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things which are pleasing in His sight. There it is again. Pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment. He's, he's basing all this upon the commandments of Jesus. That we should believe on the name of, this, of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank You so much for Your holy word. Thank You for the commands. Thank You for Your word. Lord, this is Your ministry. This is Your church. This is not about us. This is about the glory of God. This is about Your glory. This is about Jesus. And in the end... 
we will see in heaven where every saint will cast crowns before the feet of Jesus and say, Worthy are You, Lord, to receive glory and honor and power and thanksgiving. Lord, there's none like You. There's none like You. Lord, Lord, help us. Help us to take these words to our heart today and help us to apply them in our everyday life. Lord, we need Your grace and power to help us in this because we can't do it. We're too weak. We don't have the strength, but You have all the strength to help us. Fill us with Your Spirit and with Your knowledge. Oh, that we may trust You more and oh, for grace to trust You more to help us in these things. May we be the fuel of God, the flame of God for this lost and dying world and for each other. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.